0: Well, we're glad that you are here with us uh, to worship with us here at Prairie View, and it really is a privilege to have Andrew here. Um, it's one of those things where I think this is an encouragement to you, and it's an encouragement to him for us to see that even though we may never meet the people that Andrew and Genesis are reaching out to, the kingdom is being impacted. And even with the situation with Ed Dowden's family, we may never meet Ed Dowden's family. But we still have a responsibility to love and serve those people because it's an investment in the kingdom. And so I pray that you'll take that seriously. I pray that you will continue praying for Andrew and Genesis as they continue their ministry, uh, support them financially, but also support them through prayer. So with that, I do have a couple other announcements to bring up. First of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who participated in the service day yesterday. Um, if you may have noticed when you walked in there's a bunch of fresh mulch out there uh, Some dead stuff has been pulled some live stuff has been planted, which is awesome If you did not come to the service day content, just consider this your public shaming um, Because the people who were here did a great job, but i'm just kidding about the shaming part But we also had a great women's retreat. Thank you for the women who made that possible who came out to that uh, We are glad that we were able to have that so Last week we started looking through the Gospel of Mark and just to give you kind of a recap of some of what the Gospel of Mark is all about. It's the earliest gospel written first gospel written and there is some differentiation about when it might have been written, but it's the earliest one written. And on top of that, that's important because if it's the earliest one written, it was written when Jesus was only about 30 years removed from life here and ministry. And so Mark was bound to be accurate in what he said, because there would have been people who said, now, wait a minute, you're making stuff up if Mark was just writing random stuff down. So he's bound to be accurate. And so because that's one of the many factors that we trust the gospel of Mark, even though we don't know a lot about really who Mark is, because it's written so shortly after Jesus' life that he has to be honest or else people would call him out on it. Another thing we talked about was how John the Baptist starts the Gospel of Mark. And John the Baptist is this guy who comes on the scene in chapter 1, and he's like a prophet. He's a lot like a prophet. He looks like a prophet, he smells like a prophet, but he does some different things. The Old Testament prophets, a lot of times, they would focus on what had happened in the past. They would talk to the Israelites, God's people, and they would say, Hey guys, don't forget what God did for you in Egypt. Don't forget how he provided for you in the wilderness. Get yourself on track. Remember the covenant that you made with him. But John does something different. John doesn't say, remember what God did in the past. John says, get ready for what God's about to do in the future. Get ready for this new thing that's coming. And so he's baptizing people. He's encouraging them to repent for the forgiveness of sins. And he's doing this and jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is that thing that he was looking forward to Jesus is that thing that he was saying was about to come that he was getting people ready for And so jesus comes and gets baptized by him, even though jesus never sinned Jesus did not need to repent. Jesus did not need forgiveness He lived a perfect life yet. He comes and gets baptized by john and when he does heaven rips open The sky rips open and back then people believed that the barrier between people and God was the sky That God lived up there. We live down here and we can't really get to him But when the sky rips open, it's this symbolic breaking of the barrier Between God and man and that barrier is being broken because jesus is fully god Yet fully man. He is god in their presence at that very moment. The barrier is gone after that, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and he's tempted by Satan. And he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. And where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus wins. They gave in to temptation and brought sin into the world. But Jesus doesn't give in to it. Jesus overcomes it. He does what Adam and Eve couldn't do. And he comes out ready to do ministry and he starts preaching the kingdom of God, encouraging people to repent. He's calling followers to be a part of what he's doing, to leave their jobs as fishermen and jump on board with his mission. And he's extending the same invitation to us. So today I want to talk a little bit about what the kingdom is. What does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom of God? We're going to start that by starting in verse 21. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to Mark chapter 1, verse 21. We have scripture up on the screens as well if you want to follow along there, follow along with a neighbor. So reading verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus goes into Capernaum. And Capernaum was not a big town, but it wasn't a small town. I kind of like, as I was reading it this week, I kind of like to compare Capernaum to Batesville. Because we're from Batesville. Batesville's not a big town, but it's one of those towns that people stop at to get fast food. And so even though nobody lives there... A lot of people know of Batesville because of the Wendy's and because of the KFC slash Taco Bell that are together in one building. Um, So people know about Batesville. Capernaum's kind of the same way. There's not a ton of people who live there, but people know about it. It's close to the Sea of Galilee. It's close to the Jordan River. And so people have reasons to go there. There might be some trade going through there. It's kind of a stop off. And so Jesus starts ministry there. And for some reason, a lot of Jesus's time is going to be spent in Capernaum. He's going to be doing a lot of stuff in Capernaum. Some people even call it the headquarters of his ministry at times. So we're in Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue and starts teaching. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what the significance is of doing that on the Sabbath. But today, I kind of want to focus on the fact that he goes into the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue, and the synagogue was basically the Jewish church. It was the Jewish house of worship. And some people look at Jesus, and we view him as this rebellious guy who was looking to overthrow organized religion and start something brand new and really stick it to the religious leaders. And that's not exactly accurate. Jesus doesn't come and say, you know what, the synagogue, they stink. Come to my church. We're going to be better. He doesn't do that at all. Instead, he goes into the synagogue. And as I was reading that this week, I couldn't help but think of the rise in our society of people who can't stand the organized church. They'll say things like, you know, the organized church is responsible for so much violence throughout history. The organized church has covered up terrible scandals. The organized church, the religious leaders in the church are all hypocrites. And here's the thing, they're right about a lot of it. We have been an accessory to some terrible violence in our history. Organized religion has. The organized church has. We have been a part at times of covering up terrible scandals. We have at times been hypocritical. But that doesn't mean that we have an excuse to just abandon organized religion. Jesus does not abandon the synagogue. Jesus is frustrated with the Jewish religious establishment. He's frustrated with how things are going, but he doesn't flee it. And so if you have frustrations with the organized church, if you've had frustrations with the organized church before, I ask you, don't leave it. If you have frustrations with this church, don't leave it because we make mistakes. The beauty of the church, part of what makes it beautiful and part of what makes it ugly too is the fact that it's full of sinners. So we make mistakes, but we need people to be a part of the church, accepting it for its flaws, accepting it for its positives as well. The way jesus did jesus is not trying to start something brand new He's trying to be an example and be an encouragement to the organized church to the establishment And we need that from people like you as well So he goes in there and he's teaching And these people are astonished at his teaching and then in verse 23 and immediately in their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit And he cried out. What have you to do with us? Jesus of nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So they're in the synagogue, and this man comes up, and he has this unclean spirit. Now, sometimes we like to read the New Testament, and we like to say, you know what? He didn't really have an unclean spirit. He just had a disease that they didn't understand. They didn't have the access to medical technology that we have, and they just didn't get it. They were just primitive. And sometimes I think we kind of shortchange the people of the New Testament. They weren't idiots. They knew how to differentiate between unclean spirits and sicknesses and diseases. And we see Jesus interacting not with diseases, but with unclean spirits, demons. And we see that here. We see this demon talking to Jesus and he says, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now, sometimes we read that and we think that, oh man, this demon knows that he's got no chance because he's up against the Holy One of God. He knows that he's toast And he's just waiting for it to happen Well, that may be true But in that culture one thing you did if you wanted to exercise authority over someone You called them by name If you could call someone by name it proved that you had some semblance of power over them And so this demon may be trying to have authority over jesus and jesus has none of it In verse 25 jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So Jesus has authority over this unclean spirit, but the unclean spirit doesn't go down without a fight. There's convulsions, it's this violent exorcism, but Jesus wins. Jesus has power over the unclean spirit, and all the people are just blown away by it. They're thinking, man, look at what this guy can do. Look at the power he has. He can do all this amazing stuff. And his fame spreads. And I want you to remember that statement in verse 28, that his fame spreads everywhere. Because That's going to come back in just a second. Moving on to verse 29, he leaves the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. Now, first things first, Simon must have a lot of faith in Jesus' ability to work miracles, because why else would you ever voluntarily go to your mother-in-law's house? Um, So clearly, he has a lot of faith that Jesus can do some amazing things. So they take him to his mother-in-law's house, and his mother-in-law is sick. And you notice that it doesn't say she has an unclean spirit. It says that she's sick. So there is a differentiation between unclean spirits and just regular old sickness. So she's sick, and Jesus takes her hand... And lifts her up and heals her Now there's something important happening there Jesus shows that he has authority over sickness, but when he takes this woman's hand He's doing something that no self-respecting religious leader would ever do at that time No self-respecting religious leader would grab the hand of a woman No self-respecting religious leader at that time would allow a woman to serve him And yet jesus does both He has authority over unclean spirits. He has authority over sickness. But he also has authority over the social taboos that exist in that day. Jesus is not all that concerned about the social taboos. Jesus is not all that concerned about the hierarchy of certain people being below other people and certain people being higher than other people. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus looks past it and he heals the woman. So that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons And he would not permit the demons to speak Because they knew him So the whole city is gathering at the door The jesus ministry bandwagon is starting to add some people because some pretty amazing stuff is happening These miracles are occurring and people are starting to take note of it. They're wanting to see this. They're wanting to get in on the action. They're wanting to see what's happening. And so they're gathering at the door. The whole city is gathering at the door, ready to see what's he going to do next? What's he going to do next? What's, what's he going to do? What's going to happen? How's he going to do this this time? What's the exorcism going to look like this time? His fame is spreading. So how does he respond? Well, verse 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus, we, we got a show to continue. Don't forget, people are wanting to see you. People are wanting to see what you're going to do. You got to keep your crowds happy. Get moving. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town's. That I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus didn't come just to get rid of a bunch of demons, Jesus didn't come just to heal sicknesses, Jesus didn't just come to do miracles. He's more than just a miracle worker. The miracles that Jesus does are not the end. They're a means to an end. The end is about preaching the kingdom. The end is about a cross. The end is about a resurrection. It's not about wowing a bunch of people with cool stuff you can do. It's about showing who he is. And if we think that Jesus is just a miracle worker, then we misunderstand him completely. He is more than that. And the reason he leaves this town is because he knows that he's gaining this reputation for just a sideshow. He's just a carnival attraction. People just want to see the next thing he's going to do. They want to be wowed. And so he leaves because he knows that that's not why he came. That's not the reason God sent him. He's not just some sideshow. And so he moves on to somewhere else where he can actually preach instead of just being asked to do all this cool stuff. So verse 40, a leper comes to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So this leper comes to Jesus. And just to give you some insight on what leprosy was all about, leprosy was like the worst of the worst. If you were a leper, you were like one level below a Cubs fan. Like it was terrible, okay? Like it was, it was just it was awful. I thought about not saying that, but I, whatever. So this leper, he is a complete outcast in every way imaginable. I mean, he is a physical outcast. He's not even allowed to live in the same town. Lepers were forced to go out in the countryside and have their own little colonies, and they were kind of viewed as the freak show, that they're not welcome here. And their disease was one that was gruesome. It was, it was, it was terrible to look at. It was painful. No one wanted anything to do with them. They were physically unclean. But what do we see here when Jesus heals him, He doesn't just heal him at arm's length. He touches him. The same way he touched Simon's mother in law. Jesus does not help people at arm's length. Jesus does not serve people at arm's length. Jesus does not love people at arm's length. He gets his hands dirty, literally. He reaches out and touches people. He doesn't keep them at a distance. He gets involved, intimately involved, even with the worst of the worst. So, this guy's physically unclean. He's socially unclean. Even if he could have lived in that town with all the regular people, no one would have wanted anything to do with him. No one would have shot at his business. No one would have had anything to do with his friends or his family. He was a complete outcast. And then, maybe even the worst of it is that he's outcast spiritually. Because if you have leprosy, you weren't allowed to go to the temple. And if you're not allowed to go to the temple, you can't make sacrifices. And if you can't make sacrifices, then you can't have a relationship with God. He was outcast spiritually. People told him that he wasn't good enough for God. And back then, on top of that, when you were a leper, people didn't think you were just a leper by chance. People thought that you did something to deserve this. In the case of Job in the Old Testament, when all the terrible things happened to him, when he has this disgusting skin disease, what do his friends say? They say, Job, if you just repent, you'll be all right. Clearly you brought this upon yourself. And Job says, no, I didn't bring it upon myself. I didn't do anything wrong. And the leper might be thinking the same thing. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know why this happened to me, but he's outcast. And he's effectively told that you're not allowed to have a relationship with God anymore. Because you have this sin in your life that you won't repent for. He's the worst of the worst. And Jesus reaches out. And touches him, and heals him. And you look at the leper's attitude. He comes to Jesus, and he doesn't say, "Hey Jesus, I've I've heard that you know maybe you can do some cool stuff. Maybe you could help me out. I don't know if it's true or not, but I just wanted to check it out." Jesus says, or the leper says, "If you will, you can make me clean." The leper has 100 percent confidence that Jesus can heal him, and all he does is ask for it. And Jesus does it. And he doesn't do it at arm's length. He touches him. But then look at Jesus' response after the leprosy leaves him in verse 43. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. So this leper is healed. And Jesus says, hey, I'm glad you're healed, but don't tell anyone how this happened. Don't give up the secret. Don't tell people about what I did for you. And we look at that and we think, well, why in the world would Jesus say that? Why in the world would Jesus say, don't tell anyone what just happened to you? Because we have this evangelistic outset, you know We're called to make disciples of all nations and preach the gospel and tell people who jesus is Why would jesus say don't tell anyone? Well He doesn't want to just be viewed as a miracle worker He's more than that He's more than just a guy who does cool stuff And then on top of that, I really don't know what jesus would have expected from the guy because the guy walks back into town How's he not going to tell anybody? Because the people are going to be like, oh, hey, I see that your disgusting skin disease is gone. Good for you. They're going to know that something is different. They're going to know that something has changed. And so this might be the worst kept secret in history. And so the guy goes, and you kind of feel bad for him because what option does he have? I mean, he has to tell people. People are going to notice. His friends and family are going to notice. And so he starts telling people. And Jesus' fame spreads. And the problem is not that Jesus' fame is spreading. The problem is that Jesus' fame as a miracle worker is spreading. And Jesus is more than that. Jesus is bigger than that. That's not what he came to do. His miracles have a purpose. Jesus did miracles to prove who he was, to give validity to his claims that he was the Son of God, to give credibility to those claims. But it was even more than that. Jesus' miracles were done to give a taste of what the kingdom is all about. He preaches the kingdom and he says, here you need to repent, be a part of the kingdom of God, and here is what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom is a place where lepers are reunited with God and with other people. The kingdom is a place where sickness is overcome. The kingdom is a place where unclean spirits don't have control over people's lives anymore. The kingdom is a place where tears are wiped away. It's a place where where miracles happen. When we were in Batesville, there was a girl named Samantha who came to our church. And Samantha was born blind. She was blind from birth. And when she was about 19... She decided to start coming to our church because she had grown up in a different denomination and didn't really agree with some of the teachings that were happening and didn't really agree with how they were doing things. And so she decided to switch churches. So she calls up our church and said she wanted to start coming, but that she would need a ride because, well, she's blind. So people started picking her up on Sunday mornings, and then somebody else would take her home after church was over. And occasionally Olivia and I would give her a ride on Wednesday nights for Bible studies, that type of thing. And so Samantha was coming, and she'd been coming for probably three or four months, and one day after church, this family that gave her a ride that day takes her home. And when she gets to her house, everything she owns is in black garbage bags sitting on the curb because her family was so appalled that she had left their church. And so they kicked her out. It was a not-so-subtle way of kicking her out. So they gather all her things, and she ends up moving in with one of our ministers for a few weeks, and then she kind of gets on her feet, and she moves into an apartment, and she gets into school and everything, and so everything's going great. And so she's a part of our church, and then down the road, I remember at one point we were at church. She's there on a Sunday morning, and the passage that was being preached from was a passage about blind people being healed. And I remember reading that and thinking to myself, if I were Samantha... How do you, what do you do with that passage? What do you do with that when you hear the story of God healing this blind person, of Jesus healing this blind person? And I can't get in Samantha's head, but I can tell you this, that if I were that blind person, if I were Samantha, the first thought that would cross my mind was, well, then why can't God heal me? If Jesus is so willing to heal, heal this blind guy, then where's my sight? Why can't I see? And I would imagine that would be a huge doubt That I would have that might be something that Would keep me from believing But samantha wasn't that way She wasn't that way at all She didn't need Physical sight To trust who christ was Because she saw With the eyes that mattered Her spiritual eyes Were opened even though her physical eyes Were blind She knew that jesus was more than just a miracle worker and the only miracle she needed was the miracle of the cross and the resurrection That was the miracle that mattered to her No matter whether she could see or not She viewed jesus as more than just a miracle worker She didn't care if she could see or not because she knew that that wasn't what jesus was all about There was something bigger happening you know, sometimes I think that we have this attitude of God where we turn to God and we need a miracle, and then when that miracle is granted or when our prayers are answered, we turn away, just like the Old Testament Israelites. You know, the, one of the most highest attended Sundays in recent decades of churches was the Sunday after September 11th. More people went to church on that Sunday than any Sunday in decades, because people wanted help. People were confused. People were scared. People were looking for answered prayer. People were looking for miracles. And the thing is, all those people who went to church for the first time in years that week, how many of them stayed? Probably not a lot. Because every single one of us, we have this tendency to go to God when we need him. And then when things get better, we just run off and do our own thing again. But if we view god as just our miracle worker who gets us out of trouble when we need it We misunderstand god completely the same way These people who viewed jesus as nothing more than miracles misunderstood him completely He's not just a miracle worker. He is messiah. He is lord. He is savior. He is christ Samantha got that Sometimes we don't Do you trust god as more than just a miracle worker? Do you turn to God when things are good just as much as you do when things are bad? I think we all can ask ourselves that question. He's more than just a miracle worker. There are bigger things happening. And the kingdom, yeah, it's about blind people being healed. And it's about sick people being healed. And it's about lepers being reunited with God. But it's more than that. Samantha got that. And I hope we get it too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we have together this morning to focus on what it is that you would have us know. And God, I pray that we would have the type of faith where even when our prayers go unanswered, we think. Even when the miracles that we hope for don't always happen the way we hoped they would. Even when we look at our lives and we fall away from you. God, I pray that you will just strengthen our faith to trust that the miracle we need, the miracle that matters, is the cross and the resurrection. I pray that that will be our emphasis. I pray that we will be agents of showing people what the kingdom is like, that we will give people a preview of what God's kingdom is all about. We can do that through loving. We can do that through serving. I pray that you'll give us the strength and the courage to do it. Thank you for your son. We ask these things in his name. Amen. If you have any questions about our church, if you have questions about becoming a follower of Christ, if you just have something that you would like to be prayed with about, a couple of our elders will be standing at the side of the sanctuary after the service is over. Feel free to talk to them. Feel free to ask them any questions you may have. So, thank you.